The Keep Birthwild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced. And we pay respect to Elders past and present. We acknowledge that sovereignty of this land was never ceded. We extend our respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children, and we respect their continuing connection to land and culture. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for the right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. And we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Sophia, and through this series, I'll be speaking to parents who chose to birth their babies at home. Join me and my guests as we hear honest and heartfelt stories of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Hello, beautiful Keep Birth Wild community. My name is Sophia, and I will be taking over the podcast from the amazing Indy Williams. I just wanted to acknowledge all the love, energy, and time that went into her creating this project. And I hope that despite the change in host, that this podcast continues to be a source of deep nourishment and medicine for the birthing community. So in this podcast, Indy interviews me about my two home birth experiences and how vastly different they were to each other. My first experience was giving birth to my son in 2019 and the five-day process that that ended up being full of ups and downs and a little bit of anxiety and fear about prolonged rupture of membranes, but ultimately ending in a safe delivery of my baby at home with my midwife team and my mum and my partner. And then I speak briefly about being pregnant during a global pandemic and my experience the second time around and how vastly different that experience was having a quick labour and having a very active participant of a baby in the especially pushing phase. So yeah, I hope you enjoy my two stories and I'm so excited to continue to bring you stories of home births in Australia. Awesome. Well, it's been a really long time, but I'm here today with Sophia Grant, who's going to be the new voice that you're going to be hearing on this podcast. It won't be me. This is the last time you're going to hear from me, probably, (laughs) unless I have another baby, which I doubt. So hi, Sophia. Thank you so much for joining me and for taking this over. I'm really excited that we're doing this together. Thank you. And we're going to start with me interviewing Sophia about her two birth stories as a nice little introduction so that you guys can get to know her and the voice that you're going to be hearing. And yeah, so we might start a little bit with your, um, you're a doula as well. And that's something that's fairly new for you from what I can understand. So maybe we'll start with yeah, how you came to be wanting to work in this space and what's inspired you to take over the podcast. I can't say that like one thing led to me working in this industry or in this um, profession, but I think through having my own babies and understanding how integral my support network was during that time and to the health of my babies and to my own health physically and mentally, I realised quite quickly in my postpartum journey that that was not what everyone else was experiencing. 
And I think in the realisation of how privileged and how lucky I was to have a fantastic partner, a fantastic mum, two beautiful private midwives, a support community that fed me for like the first 40 days of my postpartum journey, I realised how integral that was to becoming a new parent. And so having grown up as well in the home birth community, I um, have always been around birth. I was, you know, at my little brother's birth when I was three. My aunties had babies at home and it was incredibly normalised. My mum doulaed all of them unofficially. The term doula is new, but the profession is not. (laughs) It's really integral to a functioning, healthy community. And I think for me, I find a lot of joy out of the work that I do now. I am struggling to kind of meet the two worlds of enjoying what I do and making money from it. Mm -hmm. I think I struggle asking for that because it is something that feels quite innate and natural and organic in my life. But, you know, you need to live in a capitalistic society, unfortunately, and so you have to kind of find a happy, healthy medium. So after I had Bowie, I was very much done with having babies and I was kind of thinking, okay, so what do I want to do? Do I want to go back to study midwifery? And then my mum reminded me that Rhea Dempsey does doula training. And so I signed up to do her course when Bowie was one year old. And that was probably a bit too early (laughs) to be doing that because I was living in Canberra, commuting once a month down to Melbourne to study with her. It was beautiful and I learned a lot. And it was really foundational to my ideas of what a doula can achieve positively being involved in birth and postpartum. But I did have to, you know, go back into motherhood pretty hardcore and I separated from my partner. Like that was all going on at the same time. I was living in Canberra trying to commute while still breastfeeding. Like it was just a little bit insane and I probably should have waited another year, but it was still beautiful. And I've made some beautiful friends from that course as well. And I found it a really great stepping off point of furthering my journey into rites of passage, ceremony, nurturing in all aspects of life. And I've just come back from a workshop with uh, Naoli Vinova and uh, Mary Giordano, and that was phenomenal and life-changing. And I've learned some really foundational medicine from her. So doulering is so far beyond just birth and just postpartum, and it's a way to care for people in general in life. And the more that we integrate it into every aspect of our lives, the better we are as people, the better we are as a community, the better we are as parents, as daughters, as sons, as partners. So I've been really enjoying kind of understanding everything was interwoven always, and I can bring it into every facet of my life constantly so it's been a real joy wow that's beautiful yeah thanks (laughs) thank you so much for sharing it's lovely to hear all of that some of it new and some of it new (laughs) and uh yeah mary giordano has recorded an episode with keep breath wild before as well so um feel free to go back and listen to that one Mm. Uh, yeah, we might dive into your birth stories now. You've got two beautiful children. Mm. Um, and actually, um, her, Sophia's oldest was born within a few weeks, I think. I think of, it was a week. A, well, yeah, within yeah. a week of my daughter Alice, we had the same midwives and we had the same <laughs> mother's group, so that's yeah. how we met. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be lovely travelling back to that time with mm. you. So, yeah, do you want to go back to the beginning of your pregnancy with Abel and speak to, yeah, the conception and um, early pregnancy? Yeah. So, interestingly, it was the most intentional thing I've ever done. 
entering the idea of becoming a parent with my partner at the time, Adam. And it was a really an emotional decision and made with so much love. And we just thought, you know what, let's leave it up to, you know, the bigger picture. We'll stop not trying to have a baby. And that conversation we had, <laughs> I did not have a period after that. Like that's how quickly it happened. Um, I wasn't on hormonal birth control. We were just using you know, condoms and being aware of my cycle. And that had worked really well for us for a number of years. And so it was a little bit shocking that it happened that quick. It was a lot of joy and a lot of nervousness. And I um, really struggled during pregnancy. I had hyperemesis gravidarum. So I was sick from day dot to day end. I was so sick I ended up being medicated because I was malnourished because mm. I just couldn't keep anything down. When I found out I was pregnant, I very quickly got into conversations with my mum and my godmother, Jenny, about options for care. But I did struggle to find specific private midwives. I think I didn't ha quite have the tools to go searching because uh, it's one of those things that kind of happens by word of mouth mostly. So I actually was booked in at the Box Hill Hospital at the very start and I had a couple of prenatal appointments with them until I found the Yarra Valley midwives, Lisa and Robbie, at I think I must have been 12 weeks when I found them and it was really lucky because they were like fully booked and I grabbed that last spot. So thank God that happened the way it did. It was really beautiful care from them. They were so intentional about involving Adam as well, which I really appreciated. It is hard sometimes for the partner to feel involved within the pregnancy when they're not the one carrying the baby. I think it's really important to make them feel valued and they definitely made him feel valued. Like it was just a beautiful connection that he also made with them. Yeah, I think I was 30 weeks pregnant when we got notification that my landlord wanted to move back into my property and it was a mad scramble to try and find somewhere else and it like 36 weeks we moved back in with my mum <laughs> so which was actually kind of beautiful because that was the house that I'd grown up in I remember at 40 weeks really anticipating going over term I felt quite heavy and quite exhausted and burnt out and I remember I'm just remembering back to hearing your first story yeah. in person I think I can actually remember where we were walking around the Warramate Hills just out of oh my gosh, when I heard yes. your first story <laughs> And it was such a long story. I think it took most of the I think most that, of the yeah. lap around the whole park. Um, yeah. That. Oh my gosh. It was it was a long. It's a past, so. yeah. It's like the Odyssey just yeah. never ends. <laughs> so do you want to take us? Yeah. To when you first started to have some niggles and yeah, starting? it was my due date. I was forty weeks exactly, and my mum was home that day. I remember being downstairs with her, looking at nappy bags online. And I remember this sensation of like, oh, I really need to go to the toilet. And so I got halfway up and I felt fluid, like liquid uh, between my legs. And I went, oh my God, I've just wet myself. How embarrassing. All the joys of being pregnant and having this baby crush my bladder. And I tried to waddle up as quickly as I could the last flight of stairs. And I got to the very top of the stairs and so much fluid gushed out. And I went, oh my God, I've actually wet myself fully this is so mortifying. I'm soaked to the bone. And yeah, it was running down my pants and I took another step and more fluid came out and I took another step and more fluid came out. And it was only then that it kind of dawned on me that I wasn't <laughs> wetting my pants. I have this really fond memory of how instinctual my mum was at that point in time, because 
all I did was say, mom, and she just flew up the stairs. And she took one look at me, saw the puddle in between my legs and went, oh, darling. And I was like, I I think my water's broken. I'm not sure. And so we grabbed a towel and we like tucked between my legs and tied on either side of my waist because <laughs> so much fluid was coming out and we were both kind of going back and forth of like is this real because I haven't had any like I've had Braxton Hicks over the last couple of weeks but no true surges and so we ended up calling Jenny Teske and so it takes her three four hours to get here and she was planning to be another doula support for me And I told her what was going on. She goes, okay, I'm going to pack up. I'm going to get in the car. Your waters have most likely broken. And she goes, call your midwives. (laughs) And so I called Lisa and she was at a prenatal appointment, I think. And so she said, Robbie's at the Hillsville office. Go see her, go get checked out. And so we got in the car, we drove to Hillsville and we got there and Robbie very quickly was like, okay, so I want you to prepare that this most likely isn't going to happen today. Baby is not coming the next 24 hours just to give you a heads up. And so then she proceeded to give me an internal exam and I think I was like one or two centimeters dilated and baby was not engaged at all. And so she said, yeah, go home, rest, uh, monitor your fluid color, monitor your temperature and keep in touch with baby. And I was a little forlorn. I was a little disappointed because, you know, you're like so anticipating labor and all that sort of stuff. So I um, went home, rested, and I got home probably around 5 or 6 p.m. And I remember having a couple of surges and the overwhelming memory of labor is how fantastic my surges were because they were like one and a half to two minutes long. They were really functional and they weren't expressly painful at any point during the labor, but I remember feeling my body work in a way that I'd never experienced before. And that was really um, impressive (laughs) in my experience of like, oh, okay, this is what a surge, a contraction feels like. And so I remember waking up maybe every half an hour to an hour that night with a surge and having to like sit up because I was having nigglings in my back of quite a sharp pain during the surges. And then the next morning, Jenny rocked up and I spent most of the day on the ball and Adam worked from home and we were cooking up a storm and kind of preparing for baby to come. And I was having surges every 20 minutes and nothing happened. It was just a day full of being by the fire, being surrounded by my mum and my auntie and having conversations about what to expect and how to prepare, but nothing really feeling like it was properly kicking off. Even though these surges were happening and lasting two minutes and being really beautiful, I was totally fine in between. So I went for walks down by the river and had a couple of surges in the water and that was really nice. And then the following and and sorry, like, so Wednesday and Thursday night, I was having contractions every 20 minutes. So I wasn't getting good sleep at all. And by the Friday, the third day of labor or the third day of whatever was going on, (laughs) um, I saw an acupuncturist. She came to my home. I can't remember her name, unfortunately. And I remember being in quite a large amount of discomfort because she made me lie down on my back and covered me obviously with those needles and some of them were really uncomfortable and I couldn't bend my limbs in certain ways. And so I was having, and she let, she made me lie there for an, like over an hour. And so I was having surges with all these needles in me and not being able to move and having quite a sharp pain in my back through these surges. Oh no, sorry. 
<laughs> I saw the acupuncturist on Thursday night and then Friday night I saw Steffi Avanatakis. Okay. Also interviewed on the podcast. <laughs> I know. Oh like, my God, yeah. a family affair. So. <laughs> yeah, so go back and listen to that episode or episodes. They're yeah, beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, so um, she came over and gave me the most beautiful foot bath and she sang to me and uh, then she gave me an acupressure massage and I remember it being like, oh, this is not a relaxing massage. <laughs> like I've been duped. This is not relaxing. This is actually like every time I would have a surge, she'd go harder into my hips and into my pelvis. And so we ended up having that eggplant parmigiana that everyone like raves about, the, the labour-inducing, oh God, what's it called? Something like, anyway, there's a delicious eggplant parmigiana recipe that circulates in the community that people swear by induces labor and I was shoveling mouthfuls in, in me like for three days straight and um, yeah it just it was delicious and it was nourishing but <laughs> didn't quite do what it was meant to. And sorry during this time what sort of um, communication had you had with your midwife or oh, discussions? Oh yeah, yeah about, sorry. Um, <laughs> having, yeah just having had your, yeah. your waters. The concern is infection and I was continuing to leak fluid. So I was wearing a pad the whole time, monitoring the colour. I think the concern was if it changed colour, if it went to like a green. The midwives were checking in. They made me take my temperature every hour and record it and then send them the temperature sheet. And, yeah, checking with how I was physically feeling and baby's movements. And all of it was really normal. My fluid was completely clear. My temperature was completely normal. Baby was moving beautifully. I was feeling fine and I was feeling really confident. And I remember having a conversation with Jenny and she was like, you seem fine. Are you okay mentally? And I'm like, yeah, I guess this isn't how I thought birth was going to happen, but this is just what my baby's doing, I guess. My waters are broken prematurely, but he's not ready to be here. So I'm just going to try and keep myself happy and healthy as long as possible for when he's ready. I think that was the mm. main concern. And he was like in a great position. He was posterior, which is why I was having the back pain during surges lying down because we were spine to spine and that was quite uncomfortable. Yeah, so the midwives were coming to visit, but they were also dealing with another woman who was birthing previously. She was also in our mother's group. And and so the poor midwives were like travelling from Frankston to Warrandyte on a daily basis trying to look after both of us. And so Le- I like, think that's um. I think that's Grace. Grace. Yeah, it's Grace. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so if you want to um, yeah, listen to these ones back to back and and, yeah. and imagine uh, Robbie and Lisa and the midwives driving backwards and forth between them. <laughs> oh my god, I, I totally forgot she was interviewed. Yeah. So Grace, Grace's story was happening parallel to mine. I think she gave birth a couple of days before I did. Yeah. So poor midwives were trying to balance and manage two not seemingly straightforward labors. Yeah, I think I was actually quite surprised by my level of calmness. I didn't feel stressed at all. I didn't feel nervous. I didn't feel scared. I just was kind of like, I feel fine. And isn't that the biggest? And you've got an absolute dream team of, um, yeah, you know, birthing people surrounding you. Oh my God. So much wisdom. Normalizing everything. And you've, you know, you've grown up in the home birth community. I had such a, a great foundation to work with, like having been surrounded by birthing women who were talking about it constantly, who I saw their their videos, they spoke to me about their labours. It was just so normalised that there was no fear around the unknown. 
And so when my unknown came up of like, oh, hang on, this isn't how everyone else's birth that I know has gone, I wasn't also unpicking birth fear. It was more just like, okay, well, I have to be adaptable. I have to be patient. I have to be kind to my body and myself and just slow down. I think that was the biggest thing for me. It was like, okay, maybe this is an indicator that I really wasn't conscious and slow enough during my pregnancy and maybe this is um, my baby and my body telling me to just stay at home and work on that oxytocin bubble that the midwives rave about. Hmm. And then um, at what point did you, I, I think from memory, you ended up heading into hospital to have a yeah. checkup? At, at yeah. what point did the midwives? So that was Saturday. They gave me a call on Saturday morning and I think this was just after Grace had given birth. So I think they just spent like a good day in hospital with her. And Lise called me very gently and she just said, so we know you're fine and we know you feel fine physically and all the evidence is showing us that baby's fine too, but we would like you to go into the hospital just to get some fetal monitoring, just to confirm that baby's fine. And I kind of was like, oh man. I don't really want to go into the hospital because I know it's going to take me out of my juicy bubble at home and kind of my calm bubble at home. So I kind of was like, okay, yeah, no worries. I can do that. Wanting to acquiesce kind of to the all the strings that come attached to wanting a home birth but not wanting to kind of demonise it or fearmonger amongst hospitals. I don't know if that makes sense. Like I just was kind of going more to keep the peace if anything, I didn't personally feel like I needed confirmation or validation because I was feeling my baby kicking the whole time. None of his movements changed. None of his positioning changed. Like he was totally chill. I could feel him there and I could feel him during contractions. But yeah, I wanted to kind of make sure that the midwives were, they were feeling confident in their decision-making. And I also didn't want to um, ostracize myself from the hospital too much in case something happened later down the track. And so I went in and I don't know necessarily all the backstory behind what the hospital was experiencing. I think it was a, like, it was a full moon <laughs> and I, it was just chaos at the hospital. It was just pure chaos. And luckily Lisa had called ahead, let them know I was coming. The midwife from the Box Hill Hospital, Hannah, was divine. She was so beautiful, super encouraging. I think she was the person who had spoken to them over the phone and she's like, oh, you're the home birth woman. How great. Let's get you hooked up. So I had to um, get those fetal monitoring elastics on me and I wasn't able to move off of the bed. I really wasn't even able to move from the position that they hooked me up in. And I remember going, oh my God, this is so uncomfortable. The room was icy cold. It was bright fluorescent lighting. And so I had monitoring done, I think for about at least two hours and I think this was this was around 5 p.m. on Saturday. So at this point, I'm well into like four days rupture of membranes. And so there was concern about infection. They did a swab. It came back having nothing to worry about. And the fetal monitoring came back that baby was totally fine and quite chill. And Hannah was great. She was like, you're phenomenal. You're set to go home. But the OBGYN on call would like to have a conversation with you would you mind sticking around for that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I should have trusted my instinct, but again, I was kind of in my people pleaser era of like, oh, okay, sure, no worries. I can do that for you because <laughs> it was nothing to do with me and my confidence and my reassurance. And so she ended up taking like an additional hour and a half 
to come around to see me. And I remember like standing up, walking around and I was done. I really wanted to go home. The adrenaline was kicking in at that point because I was getting frustrated by no one updating us on what was going on because it was hectic. You know, hospitals are hectic, hospitals are busy. And in hindsight, I was low priority for them, but I was sticking around to have a conversation. So I ended up saying to Adam, I'm done. Let's go home. I don't want to play this game anymore. And so we walked out to the desk and I saw Hannah and I said, hey, I'm sorry, we're going home. I'm tired. And turns out the OBGYN was in the office next door. And Hannah was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Just give her 10 minutes. And so I'm standing there at like the main midwife desk and everyone's coming by me. And then finally the OBGYN comes out, takes me into a dark room and like puts herself between me and the door. I remember really vividly her very intentionally standing between me and the door and feeling like, oh, this feels a bit weird. And so Hannah was in there as, um, as well. And I remember just feeling really cold and really impersonal. And she immediately got down to like, you know, so you're, you're on day four of rupture of membranes with no labor initiated. It's our recommendation that you are admitted right now and we organize an induction for later tonight. And I remember kind of going, that's a bit full on. No, thank you. I appreciate it, but no. She goes, oh, okay, then let's organize an induction for tomorrow morning oh, no, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> and she goes, well, no, you need to be induced. Like this is now putting baby at, at risk. And I went, oh, yeah, like I really appreciate it, but I think we're fine. I'm just going to go home and speak to my birth team. And she goes, if you go home, oh, no, what did she say? She said, I would have a hard time allowing you to leave. And I remember that really sparking something in me of going, allow? What are you talking about? Like I'm not a patient here, you can't force me to stay. Even if I was a patient here, you can't force me to stay if I don't feel comfortable. And she said, if you leave, you're going to kill your baby. And at this point, we'd only had like a five, 10 minute conversation. And I remember being, that was like my point of like, no, I'm done. Like, I can't do this. And then she was like, the only way I can see letting you leave is if I give you a script for oral antibiotics. And you go and fill that script downstairs before you leave. And so I said, sure, fine. Yep, no worries. I'd do that. And so I left. And I remember getting in the car shaking because I was so full of adrenaline and I was so upset. And I called Lisa and I was like, I'm so angry at them. How dare they speak to me like that? And she goes, hun, they're just coming out of a place of fear. This is how they experience birth. It's okay. You know your body. You know your baby. Just come home. Steffi's waiting for you for another appointment. And I went, okay. <laughs> and I just remember kind of like, it was like going back to my cocoon. And I got there and Steffi had already set up and she really pulled out all the stops for me and just completely honored me with her medicine and I remember just crying on the couch as she's bathing my feet and singing to me and going, what a difference between how I've just experienced hospital and now I'm coming home and my mum's made me a glorious meal and Steffi's here washing my feet. And I just was like, okay, it was a good choice. I came home for a reason. And when she started massaging me, I remember she went hard. She was a woman on a mission and she was like properly putting all of her weight onto me. I was having these searches and I remember in my head going, what the, what the actual hell is going on? I hate this woman. <laughs> 
she is hurting me. <laughs> and I knew what she was doing was good and I knew what she was doing was helping me. But I remember feeling so viscerally angry. It was like something unleashed in me and I wanted to push her off of me. <laughs> and so once she was done, she massaged me for like a good hour. And by the time she was done, I waddled straight upstairs because I needed to go to the toilet. I didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. You know when you get that tunnel vision and you can't concentrate on anything other than the task right in front of you? And so I went to the toilet and had like five surges, just one after the other, and making some really good noises. And so my mum went down to help Steffi pack up and she went, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sure Soph would love to say goodbye. And she said to my mum, she goes, oh, don't worry, this is really normal. Like very often women do not say goodbye to me because labour kicks off and I like sneak out (laughs) like a goddess in the night. (laughs) And so, yeah, at that point I remember time just kind of changed. At that point, I could not lie down at all. Lying down was off the table at that point because it was so painful. It was like a knife in my back type sharp pain. We just waddled around and Adam kind of trailed behind me and would support me as I was having a surge. I would lean back into him and kind of just grip onto his arms or I would lean over onto the balustrading and hold onto that and then kind of zombily wander around in between surges. And so we went through periods of time where surges were coming every 10 minutes and then sometimes they would come every 20 minutes. So they really weren't measurable in that way and it wasn't kind of the conventional, you know, surges three to five minutes apart or whatever they classify active labour as. And so I remember at around 5 a.m. that next morning was when I was in so much pain even standing up that I asked for the pool to be filled. So mum and... Adam filled the pool and our hot water system broke. So mum had to start boiling pots of water on the stove. And I remember the absolute utter relief of getting into that water. I basically fell into it and just feeling, yeah, immense relief for my back pain. And at that point, I don't really remember anything, unfortunately. I was just like so exhausted and so in a state of meditation kind of not fully conscious of my surroundings. And so I would have a surge and then seemingly like pass out. <laughs> I was so tired. Adam was in the me. And so I would have this surge leaning over the edge of the tub and then just finish and fling myself back and he'd catch me. And there's these beautiful photos of him just like holding me. Yeah, that went on for a couple of hours. And then the midwives got there, I think at around 10 a.m. And that's when I kind of was like, oh, is something happening because they're both here. And I just remember being really out of it and kind of foggy memories of my mum feeding me banana and water in between surges and kind of just resting my head and everyone kind of floating in and out. I could only really take in consciously the circumference of the pool. That was kind of the level of my ability to keep in touch with people. At some point, probably around 5 p.m., was when I had my like, "Mm, I don't want any more. And I remember waiting until the midwives were in another part of the house and my mum came over to give me a drink of water and I went, mummy, I can't do this. I can't do this. And she goes, darling, it's not going to be any better at the hospital. And she knew even without me verbalizing it, I wanted to go to hospital. I someone else to do this for me. Like that was my crisis of like, I'm so, so tired. I physically don't have the energy to go on, let alone push a baby out. And then I want to say it around 6 p.m. was when the midwives were like, okay, it's time. This baby's going to get out. You need to get out of the pool. (laughs) So they got me out of the pool and they made me walk up and downstairs. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm missing this like huge crucial point for me mentally. I was in the tub and they wanted to do an internal exam. They said, so can we just figure out how far along you are? And I was like, oh yeah, okay. I really don't want an internal exam, but sure. For me, it was like working through expectations of where I should be. Like I didn't want to have all this functional pain and feel really good about myself thinking I was making progress and then find out I'm only like, I'm still only one or two centimeters dilated because I knew that that was going to affect my mental health. And so I so desperately did not want to get out of the water that Adam held my arms and I put my feet up on the rim. And so I was literally like suspended on the top of the water, just in a bid not to get out of the tub. And so they did the Doppler and they did an internal exam. And I remember thinking, oh my God, Lisa, if you tell me I'm like two centimeters dilated, I'm actually going to cry. And she looked at me and she laughed and she goes, Soph, you're seven centimeters dilated. And I remember in my head going, okay, but how far away is seven from 10? And just going, oh, hang on, okay, yeah, that's not too bad. And she goes, okay, now we're going to get out of the pool. We're going to go walk up and downstairs and everything like that. And at that point she goes, do you want to feel baby? I can feel baby's head. And I was like, mm, no. She goes, no, so feel your baby. And I felt his little head and I felt his little hair. And then, you know what, Adam, do you want to feel baby's head? <laughs> so, you know, you avoid internal exams for five days and then suddenly everyone's got <laughs> fingers inside of me. But I think it was really beautiful for him to be out of feel baby and engage in that way. And so I was walking up and down stairs and doing lots of rebozo. Oh my God, so much rebozo. Like we did that um, rebozo where I was leaning up against a post and or leaning over a medicine ball and both Lisa and Robbie were shaking either one of my thighs with scarves and having these great surges, but feeling like I was being torn apart. Like it was so powerful. Yeah. 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 And I remember... They had to like take turns because they were fatiguing their arms. And I remember <laughs> poor Robbie, well, she said to the group, she goes, oh, can someone take over? I'm getting tired. And I went, you're getting tired. What about me? <laughs> and I just was like so frustrated at the situation and I just like lashed out. So then the surges started to come every seven minutes at that point, which was the closest they ever got. My surges were never closer in time than seven to 10 minutes once we kind of got this like really good couple of surges in a row and then they stopped again and I was like what is going on like every time I get in the pool it dissipates and it slows down and so then Lisa oh what happened she got me to stand up in the pool and keep my belly out of the water and I leant over when a surge happened and Robbie was listening with the Doppler to baby's heart rate. And it was doing that classic thing of his heart rate was slowing during a surge, but then bouncing up again when the surge finished. But then I had two or three contractions where his heart rate was going down, but then taking a really, really, really long time to come back up. And then they were starting to get worried. So they said, okay, so if we really need to get baby out now, you need to get out of the tub and we need to get you in a better position. So I ended up out of the tub, kneeling on the ground. Adam was sitting on the couch and I was squatted in front of him with my bum really close to the ground. And then the sadist these women are got me to put one of my feet up on a box. (laughs) And I just was like, that's impossible. I can't do that. There's this huge belly and you're asking me to put my foot up above my shoulder. Like it was bizarre, but that really worked. That opened up my pelvis a lot and it felt fiery at that point. That was the most noise made as well. Like I was quite quiet during surges, but when it came to the pushing, I was doing that classic roaring, trying to get baby down. But every time I pushed and the contraction finished, I had this huge sensation that he was being sucked right back up again and just feeling so frustrated and going, I can't sustain a surge for long enough. 
push him for long enough to get him, I don't know, to this theoretical point where he doesn't get sucked back up into me. <laughs> that Yeah, I think I pushed for about 45 minutes and I remember those, those last couple of surges where he was crowning felt like I was on fire. It was so hot and so painful. And he'd been down there for so long, the poor darling. His head was so oddly shaped. He looked like alien. Like his head was just like coned right at the back. And, um, yeah, he was posterior, so it was making it a little bit hard to push. But getting my center of body down and getting my knees up as high as possible kind of opened me up enough that he was able to get a bit more room. Because I think because there was very little amniotic fluid, his head had gone straight into my pelvis and there, like he'd had quite a lot of pressure on his head for quite an extended period of time. So he was quite fatigued in that sense of he wasn't participating as much in the pushing phase as a baby hopefully does. And so I was trying to do a lot of the brunt work myself. And so, yeah, so then this big pushing phase and the sensation that he was being sucked back up, but he really wasn't and he was making great headway. And then he came out and Elise just kind of tucked his head slightly so that I could reach down and grab him from between my legs. And I tried to lift him up and he wouldn't go further than my belly button. Like he had the shortest umbilical cord I've seen. Like it just was tiny. And we think that's why he was struggling in the position that I was in the tub because I was positioned in a way that they think it was pulling at his umbilical cord and putting into a bit of a distress situation. So it was great that I was out of the tub and I was kind of, by squatting, I was reducing the amount of distance he had to move to get out. And so, yeah, until I birthed my placenta, I was like waddling around with this baby still mostly between my legs because the cord was so short. And so they helped me get back into the pool, but that didn't work because the umbilical cord was so short, the water levels were too high. So I had to put a stool in the water. And then after I think about half an hour, I gave birth to my placenta. That was really beautiful and so easy in comparison and actually quite painless. And we ended up doing a lotus birth with him. So we didn't cut the umbilical cord and we just kept his placenta attached uh, for I think seven days after his birth was when it finally detached. Yeah, it was really beautiful. We, My mum made a um, Persian love cake and we sang happy birthday to him and we were all exhausted and that was like 9.30 at that point. And so it was a really beautiful thing of like lying down on the bed that we made downstairs for like, I don't know, two hours post-birth and being nourished and being checked by the midwives and having cake and eating for the first time. Like I remember it being really profound that I wasn't nauseous for the first time ever in like that entire pregnancy and mm-hmm actually craving food for the first time as well and then yeah then we went up to bed and went to sleep in our own bed and it was really like oh my god (laughs) so beautiful and and actually beautiful Hannah the midwife from the hospital serendipitously called not even 10 minutes after the baby had been born and she was like hey I just want to check and see if everyone's okay do we have a baby and the midwives were like we have a baby and he's fine and she's like oh my god that's so beautiful congratulations but yeah I think the only other important thing was that I really struggled with breastfeeding. That was a really hard challenge for me. I think that was the only time where like my mum wasn't super helpful because <laughs> she'd had this like beautiful picture perfect experience of breastfeeding and that wasn't my case. And so, yeah, that was a bit of a struggle, but we eventually found our feet and figured it out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how is it two and a half years between them, roughly? No, so it's it's 20 months. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Why am I? I don't know what, what, what the math is doing in my head to, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got pregnant just after his first birthday. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that at that point the pandemic had happened. And, and were you living in Canberra already? Or? No, we – 
so we ended up staying with my mum for like a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just worked. Like she's a great yaya and it was really nice living with her and having a third adult in the house to be there for a baby. And then the pandemic happened and we were meant to be moving to Canberra at the end of that year, end of 2020. And so we just decided to stay with mum all throughout the lockdowns yeah. instead of trying oh, to find our own place. Yeah. It was so good. Oh, my God. I think it would have been really bad being locked down with a newborn pregnant without her there because, yeah, I ended up getting really sick again. Yeah. It was even worse this time. Like I remember like every time I stood up, I felt like I was going to pass out. It was just horrendous, the sickness. But, yeah. And, yeah, do you want to take us through the next pregnancy and the birth of Bowie? You do a beautiful job. Thanks. So, yeah, so she was a surprise. (laughs) Yeah, we had a one-year-old. We were in the middle of a global pandemic and we were living with my mum in a lockdown. And I don't know what spurred me to get a pregnancy test, but I think a girlfriend had said, like, oh, you thinking of having another one? I said to her, oh, yeah, but not right now. Like, I'm not ready to have another baby. And then I went, oh, I'm, like, three days late with my period. That's a bit unusual. And so I grabbed a pregnancy test and waited till everyone else was asleep, but Adam. (laughs) And I took it and I just was floored. I was like in such shock. Adam was actually going back to uni at the time and was like a month away from his final exams and was stressed to the nines, like cramming hardcore. And I was like, I'm not going to tell him he's got an exam in three days. I'm not going to tell him until then. And I walk into the bedroom and he just looked at me and I burst into laughter, like just hysterical (laughs) laughter. And he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm I'm pregnant. And he just was like, oh my God, (laughs) what are we doing? (laughs) But yeah, it was an interesting thing because we didn't tell anyone for like 12 weeks and not because of the fear of a miscarriage, but just because we were having trouble processing it. I think there was a lot of grief for me in making space for another baby. I was like, oh my God, am I taking away time from Abel? He deserved more time to be the only child. And there was a lot of grief around that. Yeah, but we worked through it eventually. And when we started telling people, people were joyful for us. So I think that kind of helped us go, okay, yeah, it's not a really like scary thing. It's just the way it's happened and we'll power through like we do other stuff. It was a bit difficult. Like, thank God this wasn't my first baby. I feel so much grief for women in a pandemic going through a first time pregnancy because all my appointments were remote. Like, and luckily I had a really great foundation of a relationship with Lisa and Robbie. But yeah, I had one prenatal appointment in person where they did a physical and I had an ultrasound that we snuck Adam into because at that point, partners weren't allowed into anything, which was really horrendous. But yeah, like we were quite isolated for that whole pregnancy. And I think that didn't help making it feel real. I think I was in that moment of like going about my life as a mother to a one-year-old and every now and then I'd be like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. (laughs) I don't know. It was just like a weird scenario of like not having as much time to indulge in being pregnant and the kind of connection to baby. And so then, yeah, we moved up to Canberra when I was like seven months pregnant. And I tried and tried and tried to find home birth midwives in Canberra. I didn't connect with any of them. And I really loved Robbie and Lisa. And I felt a lot of sadness around potentially not birthing with them again. So I kind of just made the outrageous decision to come back to Melbourne and give birth here. And I did. And it was lucky. It was like in between lockdown windows, like we Mm -hmm. lockdown ended came down to Melbourne. We went into lockdown while we were in Melbourne. And then once baby was here and we were thinking about going back was when lockdown ended again. So it was kind of fortuitous. Like it happened that way. Yeah. With Bowie, completely different story. Like you could not get two more opposite births. Yeah. I got to 41 weeks. How many weeks were you when you moved down to Melbourne? 38. (laughs) 
so um, I went down at 38 weeks with Abel and Adam came down at 40 weeks. Yeah, so we... I'm guessing you're staying with your mum again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like, it feels like a lifetime ago. So we were staying with mum, birthing in the same place. Like it's so lovely now being in her lounge room. I'm like, I've birthed both my babies here in this lounge room. <laughs> I think Abel had like slept really badly that night. So he woke up at like 5am. So we went to the playground really, really early, just the um, Eltham Adventure playground, which is a pretty epic playground. And so he was laughing and playing and running around and I was slow. I could not keep up with him. And so Adam was doing the brunt work of that. And I went to the public bathroom that was there and ended up losing my mucus plug in the toilet. So I have very fond memories of that toilet cubicle now. <laughs> and so I, I ended up like taking a photo and sending it to Lisa. And I'm like, hey, heads up, mucus plug is gone. Uh, no surges. Yeah. So I think at that point they were like, okay, cool. We'll keep you on our radar. I think I maybe was obviously like a bit influenced by my first birth and really didn't expect anything to happen in the next coming days. Like you lose your mucus plug and not go into labor for weeks. So I kind of just really didn't expect anything. And then around midday, we put Abel down for a nap and I went to lie down and was like watching a couple of episodes of West Wing on my phone and then suddenly started feeling some beautiful surges and I went, oh, okay, cool. This is nice. (laughs) And they weren't painful. They were just really constructive. Like I remember feeling like, oh, this is really powerful. This is really beautiful. I'm so much more conscious and well-rested this time so I can really appreciate the power behind these. And for the next hour that Abel was napping, I was consistently having contractions every five to seven minutes, I reckon. And I think my judgment was off. I was like, do I tell people (laughs) what's going on? I didn't tell Adam and I didn't tell mom. And they were both just downstairs pottering around the house. And I was just resting in bed alone. Then at some point after about an hour, Adam came in and asked if I wanted any food. And so I asked for some toast. And then I said, hey, do you reckon you could start filling the tub? And he was like, what? Really? And I was like, yeah, can you just start filling it up? Because I know it's going to take ages. I know the hot water system's going to break again. And you're going to end up boiling water again. So can you start that for me? And he went, ah, oh, sure, I guess. Do you want me to call the midwives? And I went, no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> we'll be fine. That's probably a while off, but I just want to get in the water. Like I was lying down this whole time. So again, really different from my last labor of just not being able to recline at all. But I was lying down in bed this whole time and, and having these surges that were then like you couldn't talk through and you couldn't concentrate on anything outside of that. And that was to the point where like I was timing them on my phone app and kind of going, oh, okay, these are proper hunky-dory surges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I ended up waddling downstairs, not saying a word to either my mum or Adam, and then just stripping off my clothes and like I remember just like slithering into the tub <laughs> silently and just going, oh, okay, that's better. And then things just kicked off quite quickly because at that point Abel had woken up and my mum was going to take him to the supermarket to get some food. And they both looked at me and they were like, oh, we're not going anywhere. Like this is actually kicking off. And I couldn't properly communicate to them that I wanted them to call the midwives because things were starting to kick off so much that I was now completely unable to have a cohesive, coherent conversation with anyone. And so in between surges, I just went to Adam, call Lisa, call Lisa. (laughs) And he's like, are you sure? Is it time? And I went, just call Lisa. And so he ended up calling her and she went, oh, hi, Ads, how are you? And like, he was like, oh, Soph thinks she's in labor. And she's like, um, okay, can you put me on speakerphone? I want to listen to her next contraction. (laughs) And so she listened to me and she went, okay, I'll call you back. (laughs) 
And I hung up immediately. And Adam's like, okay, whoa, what's going on? And she called back and she was in the car and she goes, okay, I'm on my way. Just get her to blow bubbles. And he's like, okay, sure. And it turns out she was on the main street in Hillsville walking with her husband and ditched him and the dog on the main street because she heard my surges and went, oh crap, I've got to get there quickly. Jumped in the car, zoomed in from Hillsville. And luckily, I think Robbie was in, in Ringwood having lunch with her daughters or something. So she managed to get there first, like 20 minutes later. But this whole time, once they called Lisa, I felt the urge to push. And I was like, crap, I don't want to push yet. I want them to be here. And so I'm sitting there blowing bubbles on the surface of the water, concentrating really hard. Lisa's on speakerphone coaching me through blowing bubbles. And in my head, I'm like, Lisa, get here. I really need to push this baby out now. Part of me was like, okay, you could end up with a free birth. This could be a possibility. Prepare yourself for that. But there was a part of me subconsciously going, no, you need to wait for Lisa and Robbie to get here. That was just a a fundamental voice in my head. Finally, they got there. And I remember like, the tub was close enough to the window that you could see down below to the driveway. And I've got a classic, horrendous North Warrandyte driveway that puts a lot of people off because it's so steep and weirdly shaped. And um, I saw Robbie come up and park in the car and, and I was like, okay, good. Someone's here. That's great. But there was a part of me that was still waiting for Lisa to get there. So I'm blowing bubbles and, and Robbie's there and she's going, good job, so well done. You're doing great. And like five minutes later, I see Lisa's car zoom up my next door neighbor's driveway and they're not accessible to each other at all and I'm just like what is she doing she's going to the wrong house and so I sort of come back down and zoom up my driveway and I'm really like stopping myself from pushing at this point like I can feel Bowie working to get out of me and I'm like doing my kegel exercises keeping her in there I'm like no you are not coming out baby and I remember feeling so hot at this point, I begged my mom to take some water out because I actually like wanted to be out of the water, but my lower body be in. And I remember feeling so hot and so overwhelmed. And I remember consciously having the thought, I think this might kill me. Like this is so much power and it feels so much bigger than me and my capacity to withstand energy. I thought I was just going to be split in half by it. It felt so all-consuming and so terrifyingly fast. Like this was all happening within a space of 20 minutes. Yeah, I just remember going, this is so not what I prepared for. I wanted this to take longer. Like where was my five-day labor again? I had lots of time to mentally prepare. And so when Lisa got there, I saw her like kneel down in front of me in the tub and I just was like glaring at her. And she was like, it's okay, so you can push now. And I just remember going, (laughs) and I was so silent. Like I had no capacity to talk or make any noise. And I don't think it was because it wasn't intense and it wasn't, I don't want to say painful, like it wasn't that the contractions weren't powerful. It was I just had no energy. I felt like if I expended energy talking to someone or communicating I wouldn't have enough to hold on to like the very (laughs) limited ability I was kind of staying with these surges. And so I think at that point, if I'm I'm remembering correctly, once Robbie got there, she started filming. And when Lise got there, the first time I let myself let go, you see a gush of water and my waters break. Um, And so up to that point, the surges were powerful, but then it just was like, oh my God, all systems go. And she got there and I pushed as soon as I saw her in my vision and the head was out. And I remember going like, 
remember consciously stopping pushing and going, that's too much. That's all you get this time around. I'm waiting for the next one. And I said to Lise, are they going to be okay? The head out in the water. Can I stop and take a break? And she's like, yeah, you're fine. Like baby's fine. And so I've got this head out in between my legs and I'm just wanting to take a breather. I'm like working against the contraction again. And then that second push, she just flew out of me like so quick. It just felt so overwhelming and so sudden. And Lisa and I pick her up and Lisa untangles the umbilical cord from around her neck uh, really seamlessly. Like I didn't even notice at the time, but I noticed afterwards and then pulled her up out of the water and she's tiny. She's this little uh, arms and legs completely covered in vernix bug-eyed like open-eyed and it's so bright in that room the poor little darling is like come out and it's the brightest day and we both kind of look at each other and we're like oh my god what just happened oh my god you're here that was it how how was that it <laughs> like we're done and she's just like arms and legs out like a starfish and kind of like whoa <laughs> and then I put her on my chest and I'm like catching my breath I'm so exhausted <laughs> and she's not taking a deep breath in like she's not taking gulp of air in with a cry and so I'm doing my best being so out of it to try and like rub her back and talk to her and move her around and I'm really grateful for Lisa. Lisa never took her off of me. She just kind of spoke to me and said, Soph, can you rub her back? Can you rub her up and down? Can you um, move her to your side? And um, then we like had her rubbing her feet and rubbing her hands and talking to her and it got to the point where I was like, oh, she's really not taking a breath. This is getting a little bit making me worried. And then I just happened to like move her a full 180 and she just like took in that big gulp of air and started crying. And I'm like, oh, okay, thank God. And the whole time she was like making eye contact with me, but then she'd look up to my mum who was standing above me holding Abel. And so she was looking at her brother the whole time. It was quite beautiful. But I just remember these like big, big eyes and the rest of her was covered in vernix. She was so white. And um, yeah, I birthed the placenta like 45 minutes later. Like I was right on the cutoff. Like Lisa was looking at her watch going, oh, I might have to do some like painful massages. And I was like, no, okay, I'm going to get this placenta out. <laughs> and so we birthed the placenta in the pool. And at that point I started to lose a bit of blood and we got out of the tub and they wrapped me up and we initiated breastfeeding. We did all that beautiful stuff. And then they were looking at my blood loss and I don't remember the number of it, but it wasn't bad. I think it was just in combination with fatigue. And then when they got me upstairs to try and go to the bathroom, I ended up having to take a break <laughs> halfway up the stairs. So they put a towel down and I was lying on the landing of the staircase for like 10 minutes trying to basically recalibrate myself because I was feeling quite faint. But yeah, it was fine. I don't think I lost an atrocious amount of blood. I don't remember the number. Yeah, it was a very different experience. I remember feeling a lot more confident in initiating breastfeeding, in baby in general. She was quite small. She was only 2.9 kilos, but you know, she was fine. She was healthy. She was great. And yeah, I remember feeling really like a little bit overwhelmed of like having a toddler and having a baby at the same time. And I was like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? And then we all got really sick, like five days postpartum, we all got the flu. <laughs> so we're dealing with like a sick toddler, me being sick and poor little Bowie. It was a little bit dicey for those first couple of weeks. 
But we managed to safely get back up to Canberra and everyone settled down and everything was lovely. And yeah, that's, you know, they love each other and they hate each other in equal measure. <laughs> but yeah, the older they get, the more beautiful it is. Like They're great little kids and they've taught me a lot and offered me so much in terms of learning and expansion as a person and as a mum. So yeah, it's been really profound. I don't think I would have chosen to have babies that close together, but oh my God, I'm so grateful it's her, mm. you know, like God forbid it was any other kid. I don't think it would have been what it is. So, yeah. Oh, amazing. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> and now you're in this kind of huge transition phase and moving out of kind of baby and early toddlerhood into um you know into the next stage of having children and studying a new career and a new podcast (laughs) and you've just moved back to Melbourne so many new things yeah Yeah. it is a little bit overwhelming and I do kind of wonder if I'm completely sane yeah but I've got a great support network you know even though Adam and I aren't together anymore we're still co-parenting beautifully together the kids are getting older but yeah there's still the kind of balance of motherhood and individuality and Mm. the things that I'm passionate about so it's been nice to kind of get into it find this new reality Mm. of career and motherhood yeah but thank you for having me and thank you for embracing the idea of the podcast continuing i know it's i'm more than embracing i'm so excited <laughs> i'm really glad no yeah. me too i'm really excited to see where i can take it and what it can offer people because mm. i know it's really good to hear empowering positive birth stories i think that it can be quite mysterious in negative ways like people can get quite overwhelmed at the idea of what birth looks like and mm. we have a unfortunately a society that kind of distrusts birth as a physiological experience so I think the more that we engage in these sort of conversations about the positive experiences of birth whether they're complicated or not Mm. is really important to just rebuild that foundation of knowledge in birth experiences for other women and other people that are giving birth in the future yeah and I really feel like the the medium of storytelling and via a podcast this time mm-hmm. at this in this day and age is often via podcast but yeah I feel like that medium where you get to have more long-form conversations and go into more depth is yeah it's so great because kind of home birth if you're already in that inner circle you feel like it's kind of surrounding you but there's a lot of I don't know when things are on social media it's snippets and it's photos and people having professional photographers and talking about empowering and positive births mm-hmm. but really it's actually empowering to hear all birth stories and I find it really empowering to hear your birth story with Abel because you know like that's yeah to me in a way that's like more empowering than than hearing kind of like the ideal exact you know eight hour labor or whatever that went perfectly because what is normal birth yeah yeah, exactly and it's yeah yeah, it's important to have that to hear like that whole spectrum Mm. um, and things can turn out okay and they might not feel okay the entire time and it might be like not what you pictured or Mm. what you imagined but um yeah, and we come. Yeah. We, we both come from the absolute honour and privilege of growing up in the home birth community. And I came from a mother that healed the birth wound. Her birth was very traumatic. It was a C-section. Her mum had a lot of birth trauma in births after her as well. And so my mum very intentionally went looking for this community and she created it for herself and gave herself the healing birth. She inserted herself into that community so intentionally for what she thought was going to be her own healing but in reality she healed the lineage past her 
Mm. Like I never have ever doubted the physiological process of birth. I've also never doubted my ability to give birth, whether or not I knew what it was going to look like. Mm. I knew I was capable the whole time. And that's maybe why in those five days where for all intents and purposes, I could have been quite nervous and quite worried about what was going on. But because I had that foundation from infancy, I never questioned it. Mm. It was more just about, okay, let's work with what we've got because this is birth. It's unpredictable. (laughs) It is a mystery to a degree, but I think it's so beautiful and it's wild, you know, Mm. like it's not meant to be as interfered with as we do in a more medical environment. Mm. I think we do need to take a little bit of a step back and kind of come back to the roots of understanding birth isn't measurable and the more we try and fit it into a box, the more trouble we're going to get ourselves into because mm. the more we try and attach labels to phases of birth and to timeframes of birth, the more we get worried and in our fear reactions about it and that's where all the kind of interventions happen. Mm. And I think hospitals have their place. They're so integral to the functioning and safety of our society. But I also think it needs to be a balance between trust in birth and the medical system to be there when needed. But we've blurred the lines now and it's kind mm. of gone too far one yeah. way. Yeah. But, yes, yeah, so I hopefully. Agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, like, preaching to the choir. <laughs> but, yeah, like, my hope is with this podcast – You know, in the clients that I have had down in Melbourne, they've spoken about your podcast, even though it hasn't happened for a couple of years, the episodes that are out there have been incredibly moving to them and encouraging to them that they can achieve the birth that they desire. Wherever that is, hospital or home, it doesn't matter. So long as you're feeling empowered and safe, that's the most important thing. Mm. And I think it's a really good reminder to understand that stories do need to continue to heal the broader community and to heal lineages like ours have been, Mm. you know, like we've made that foundation for our daughters. Yeah. And I think it's a unique, yeah, you're right. It's a unique position as well to have grown up like that. And I think the fear goes both ways. There's like the whole fear of fear of birth and like unmanaged birth that kind of happens in often happens in the hospital system and in really medicalized um, maternity care. But then there's also, like the absolute fear of the system and fear of the hospital system Mm. that happens from people who've had traumatic births in that setting. And that's also not a balanced, like it's, yes, it's an individual Mm. experience that someone's had, but it's also not kind of like a balanced, yeah, it's still coming from fear and still like a tricky perspective to to come from when you're trying to have whatever the birth is that you're wanting to have and and yeah lots of you know it's it's workable and people can work through yeah those things for sure and and get what they want out of it but um but I think we're both very privileged that we haven't had the fear in either direction and also very privileged to economically afford a home birth Mm. like that prices out so many people the people that almost need it the most because of this the way the system's been built they're not able to access this as easily or as readily like my paid for my first home birth like I wasn't even in that bracket of someone that could think about the six or seven thousand dollars it takes for a home birth Mm. it's really disheartening that that's the either the option like if you want a chance at a home birth or a better chance at a physiological normal birth the idea that money comes into play for that is really heartbreaking Mm. and it's like yeah 
you know, you don't want people to come out of birth with the mentality of, well, I guess it could have been worse. Yeah. Like, that's not what you want from birth. You want birth to be like, oh, my God, I did that. That's amazing. Whether that's at a hospital or at home, that's, mm. to me, that's the goal. Mm. You know, I don't want people coming out of birth feeling violated, feeling traumatised and feeling disempowered by the experience, you know, like, yeah. Anyway, well, <laughs> we could talk. For hours. We could. I'm sure we could talk for hours. We might wrap things up. So, yeah, this is goodbye mm. from me. Oh no! I <laughs> just. I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> um, you never know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, thank you everybody who has listened over the years, and mm. um, welcome to all the new people that um, Sophia's gonna bring along for the journey. So yeah, excited to see where things go. Thank you, Mindy. Much love. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs>